how good it is to worship God. Amen. And how good it is to be in his house. It's always good to see you in the Lord's house. I say you could have chosen to be anywhere else, but like David, you have chosen to be in the house of God. And I'm thankful that he is a God that rewards those who diligently seek him. So I pray that you're rewarded with a blessing this evening. Amen. Tonight we will be concluding our series on the nine divine exchanges that took place on the cross of Jesus Christ. Nine exchanges that took what we deserved and gave us what we didn't deserve instead. Nine divine exchanges that were a demonstration of God's grace towards our lives. A demonstration of His unmerited, unearned, and undeserved favor in our lives. Amen. How many of you are thankful for God's grace? Amen. I have put out at the back of the room a copy of the nine divine exchanges that we've looked at over the last few weeks. And I've done it as a reminder because the Word of God tells us that we should stir ourselves up by way of remembrance. And when we find ourselves in places of difficulty, I want you to have this so that when you're sick, you might remember that this was part of God's divine exchange by his stripes were healed. When you find yourself struggling with a curse, you can remember the fact that one of God's nine divine exchanges was his blessings in place of a curse. So I just want you to have that so you can use it to follow along tonight, but especially as a reminder of God's amazing grace and what he made available to to us on the cross. Before I get going, one more time, we're going to pray and ask God to anoint me as he always does and anoint you as well. Father God, we just thank you for being Jehovah God, the one true God, the only wise God, and the only living God. I thank you, Father God, that we don't serve a dead God, but that we serve a God that's alive and well and seated high upon a throne. And God, we just pray tonight for your presence to be in this place. God, I pray that you would come against every distraction that the weak might have brought into our lives any distraction that the devil might try to bring into your house this evening. I pray against it, God, that your word would come forth with clarity, that it would come forth with your anointing, Father God, that it would accomplish the very reason for which you have sent it, Father, into our lives. So I pray that your people would receive with gladness the word that is brought forth this evening, that you would anoint my mind and my lips, that you would empower me by your Holy Spirit to bring forth the word, and that you would anoint your people with the power of the Holy Spirit to receive your word as well. We give you the praise and the glory, and all of God's people said, Amen. I know I've touched on most of these exchanges each week as we've gone through these divine exchanges. But I, before I go on, I, I want to real quickly just remind you and touch on these again. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them, but they are nine divine exchanges. So far, we've looked at eight. Exchange number one and number two we did in the first week, and it was peace in place of punishment and healing in place of sickness. Because if you look at this little hand, out he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities the punishment for our peace was placed upon his shoulders and by our stripes by his stripes we are healed that was the divine exchange one and two number three was he became sin 
so that we could be his righteousness. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. The Bible says that we might be made righteous with his righteousness. How many of you are thankful for his righteousness? Amen. That we no longer have to walk around in these uh, wretched, filthy rags. But because of the work of Jesus Christ, we now can walk around in his righteousness. He died so that we could live forever. He became a curse so we could enjoy his blessing. He became poor so we could be rich. He bore our shame so that we could share in his glory. And he was utterly rejected like we learned last week so that we could be utterly accepted. This was the amazing demonstration of God's grace upon an old rugged cross 2,000 years ago. This is the very place where God took what we deserved and gave us what He deserved instead. Amen? And it is because of the cross that we can rejoice this evening. Tonight, we're going to look at the final exchange. It is the most important exchange that took place on Calvary's cross. And it is the new man in place of the old man. Because of the work of Jesus Christ, because of the cross of Jesus Christ, you and I can walk and live as a new man. Amen? We don't have to live as the old man. We don't have to operate under the the guise of the old man, but because of the work of Jesus Christ, he has made available to us a new man, and it's what we're going to look at as we go along. For the seven weeks that I've been on this study, we've looked at what the power of the cross is able to do for us. We've looked at what the power of the cross has done for us. But on this last exchange that took place on the cross, we understand and get a glimpse of what God has done in us and what God wants to do in us. You see, the reality is, church, that there is absolute power in the cross concerning what he has done for us but the real power of the cross isn't about what god can do for us the real power of the cross is all about what god can do in us you see the reality is you can go through your entire christian life waiting for god to do something for you and enjoying what god has done for you without ever allowing the power of god to do anything in you you see the reality is the main reason jesus was crucified in the cross was so that something could happen deep inside of our soul It wasn't just so that we could be healed. It wasn't just so we could be blessed. It wasn't just so we could... uh, All of these things that we studied, it was so that something powerful could happen deep inside of our soul. And that's what we're going to look at this evening. Unfortunately, church, in today's society, one of the things that we struggle with in the modern church is because of the fact that the church has adopted a consumer mentality because of the society that we live in. You understand, just like I do, that the world that we live in today, even though it's just like it was years ago and centuries ago, but the society and the world we live in today, especially in America, is a consumer-minded, has a consumer-minded mentality. It is all about me, myself, and I. It is all about entertain me. It is all about make me happy. It is all about please me. It is all about put on a show for me. It is all about make, you know, it's all about entertainment. It's all about a consumer-minded mentality. And unfortunately, like I said, that mentality has crept into the church. 
And far too often we, as sons and daughters of God, we come into the house of God with that same mentality. We come into the house of God and think and ask, okay, God, how are you going to perform for me today? We come into the house of God with this mentality of God, how are you going to serve me today and service me today? What kind of show are you going to put on for me today, God? What songs will you sing that make me happy? What music will you play that makes me happy? What, what, what kind of production is going to be put on in order to satisfy me today? I, I want you to understand that that is a consumer fleshly minded mentality. You see, the reality is when you and I walk into the house of God, our first question should be, God, what do you want to do inside of me today? The question that we should ask is, God, what do you want to do deep down inside of my soul? Because the reality is, it should always be, God, I don't care what music is played. I don't care what song is sung. I don't care how fancy Pastor Jeff's PowerPoint looks. I don't care how many people are at the orchestra, if we have an orchestra at all. I am not coming to be entertained, God. I'm coming into your house to ask you one question. What do you want to do with my life today, God? Amen. And this is what this divine exchange is all about. You see, we could not ask that question if Jesus didn't go to the cross. Couldn't ask, what do you want to do inside of me? But Jesus went to the cross so that the old man could pass away and so that the new man could rise up in newness of life. Jesus went to the cross so that we could be baptized into his death. So that just as Jesus Christ rose from the grave to the glory of the Father, you and I too might walk in newness of life. It's what the cross is all about. It's about taking the old man away and causing a new man to rise up. This is what was made available to us at the cross of Jesus Christ. And unfortunately, there's far many, far too many individuals in the house of God that are still walking around like the old man instead of the new man. Why? Because they're waiting for God to do something that He's already done. He's already made the new man available. But you see, this is the one thing that relies on us. We must take the old man to the cross in order for the new man to rise up. And this is what God wants to teach us in this last divine exchange that took place. Understand, the truth is... If your whole Christian life is geared around what God can do for you, you don't understand the ultimate goal of the cross, which was to do more in you than he does for you. If you look all throughout Scripture, you can find mighty men of God that God, for a a long season of their life, he didn't do anything for. And yet they worshipped him. And yet they trusted him. And yet they prayed to him. And yet they served him. And yet they called out to him. What about Noah? Who for 100 years built an ark. Didn't see God. Didn't hear from God. Didn't have a revelation from God. And yet the word of God tells us that for 100 years he obeyed the original word of God. This is what we, this is what this uh, exchange is all about. Because listen to me, during those 100 years, I guarantee you, God was doing something in Noah's heart. And any time we go through our life, God wants to do something in us, church. And we've got to let Him. 
Please understand, without the cross, we cannot be born again. Without the cross, that's the ultimate goal of the cross of Jesus Christ. It's so that you and I could be born again. I talked about it last week. It's so that you and I could experience newness of life. Jesus didn't go to the cross for himself. I've taught that more than one time. Jesus did not need the cross. Humanity needed the cross. Jesus didn't need to die. We needed Jesus to die so that we could live. The reality is we needed to be born again. And without the cross, we can't be born again, church. Without the cross, listen to me, the old man will never pass away. Without the cross, we cannot uh, experience newness of life. Without the cross, we are nothing more and can be nothing more than a form of godliness or a shell of godliness or a, a facade of godliness. You see, the individuals that are nothing more than a form of godliness have never been to the cross. The individuals that walk around all holier than thou, but, but have no demonstration of the power of God in their life. They might carry a big Bible, they might sing a lot of songs, but there's no demonstration of God's power. There's, there's no, there's no evidence of the, the cross of Jesus Christ ever touching their life. That's what it means to have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. And the reality is, until you and I are willing to go to the cross, we are nothing more than a shell that denies the power of the Almighty God. And it's why this divine change must take place in our life, church, so that the old man can pass away and the, old, and the new man can rise up. Listen, when I talk about the old man tonight, I'm not talking about your father I'm not talking about your husband or your granddad. I'm not talking about George or John or Henry. I'm talking about one of two men that are mentioned in the Word of God, but they were never given a name. The only name these two men were given in Scripture are the old man and the new man. The reality is, of all of the people recorded in the New Testament Scriptures, besides Jesus Christ Himself... These two men are the two most important characters in the New Testament because all of us are one or the other of these two men. All of us will live our lives under the covering or under the control of one of these two men. And one of these two men, church, will write the story of our lives, either the old man or the new man. Either the corrupt man or the consecrated man. And the sad story is there's far too many people in the house of God whose, who, who, whose story, life story, has way too many chapters that have been written by the old man instead of by the new man. But this is exactly why Jesus made this exchange upon the cross. So the majority of the story of our life could be written by the new man that is empowered by the Spirit of the Lord and not by the flesh and by the devil. That's why this change took place, church. The old man, as I understand him to be, is the sinful nature or the corrupt nature or the or the rebellious nature, you can say, that was inherited from our first father, Adam. And what you have to understand and remember is that Adam had no offspring until after he sinned. 
Adam had no offspring until after he fell. Adam had no children until after he rebelled against God, until after he had allowed corruption to come into his life. Therefore, every child, every descendant of Adam is also corrupt. Every descendant and and offspring of Adam is also sinful. They have a rebel inside of them. The reality is, if Adam would have had kids before he sinned, there would have been a whole line of righteous individuals. But because Adam had children after he fell, everyone after him is born into sin as well. I know you know that, but I need to lay that as a foundation of where I'm going. The reality is, every descendant from Adam is born with a rebel inside of them. They are born of corruptible seed. Seed that is destined for destruction. Seed that brings forth death instead of life. Seed that brings forth bad fruit instead of good fruit. It brings forth thistles instead of figs, if, if I might say that. The truth is, it doesn't matter which side of the tracks you were born on. It doesn't matter into which social status you were birthed. It doesn't matter if your parents were educated or uneducated, if they were rich, if they were poor, or if they were somewhere in between. It doesn't matter what state you were born uh, into. The reality is, every single one of us were born rebels. Every single one of us. It doesn't matter who your parents are. It doesn't matter what place they held in society. Every one of us were born as rebels. We might not like to confess it. We might not like to admit it. We might not even understand it, church. But because of our first father, Adam, there is a rebel inside of every single one of us. And this rebel is called the old man. This rebel is called the old nature. This rebel is called the sinful man that lives inside of every one of us. The reality is there is a corrupt and sinful nature inside of every single one of us. And we were born that way, church. We were born corrupt. We were born carnal. You know, it's hard for us to imagine when we look at a little child that's just born and how cute he is and how how beautiful that child is. And we want to hold it and we want to love on it. And he's so innocent. But the reality is that child is born into corruption. The reality is the seed that's inside of that child's soul is the seed of a rebel. The seed that's inside that young, innocent looking child is the seed of a sinner. And we must understand that, church, and it's why Jesus went to the cross, so that that seed could be removed, and so that a righteous seed could be replaced. He went to the cross so that the old man could pass away, and so that we could be born again of the Spirit, church. Listen, it's exactly why Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Because Jesus knew that every single one of us, he knew that Nicodemus, who was a high man in, 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 in a spiritual sense, who was a rabbi and a righteous man in the eyes of men, he was a spiritual leader. He told Nicodemus, you must be born again because you got a sinful seed inside of your soul. You might be dressed in a royal robe. You might have tassels hanging from your feet. You might have the Word of God written all over you, but you're a rebel that needs to be saved. It's exactly what Jesus said. And it's exactly why God sent His Son to the cross, so that we might be born again, church. We are all natural-born rebels. 
It's part of our DNA. It's part of our makeup at birth. And it's why we must be born again. Listen, if you have kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you've got kids, you understand that no one has to teach your kids how to rebel. Amen? You know yourself that you were a kid. And no one had to teach you how to lie. No one had to teach you how to connive. No one had to teach you how to mislead your parents. No one had to teach you how to paint a pretty picture of what, you know, you shouldn't be doing. No one had to teach you how to sneak into the kitchen when mama wasn't looking and get a cookie when you were told not to. No one had to teach you, church, how to be a rebel because you were born that way. No one had to teach you how to do something wrong because it was part of your makeup. You understand what I'm saying? No one has to teach our kids, church, how to misbehave. No one has to teach our kids to do the exact opposite of what they are told. You say, come here, and they go there. You say, stop, and they go. You say, be quiet, and they have a tendency just to get louder. You say, not right now, and they just don't quit. You see, no one has to teach us how to rebel. No one has to teach us how to demonstrate the corrupt nature that's inside of every one of us. Why? Because we were born that way. And this is why this ninth divine exchange is so important in our lives. Because the, the rebellious nature and the rebellious spirit that we so often demonstrate in our lives was not part of God's plan. God's plan. 2,000 years ago, and even before that, because if you remember our series, Jesus Christ is the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the earth. From the very moment God spoke and the world came into, into existence, Jesus was already the Lamb that would be slain. But 2,000 years ago, as far as the calendar goes, God's plan was put into play. So that you and I might be born again. That is God's plan, church, so that we could be born again, not of corruptible seed, not of rebellious seed, not of sinful seed, not seed that is destined for destruction, but seed that is incorruptible, seed that cannot tell a lie, seed that cannot sin. Seed that does not try to deceive. You see, please understand me, and I'm going to try to teach you this as I go, but I want you to clearly understand it is not the new man that sins. The new man can't sin. The new man can't tell a lie. And this is not just me saying this. The Bible says the new man can't sin. The new man can't tell a lie. The new man isn't the one that looks at pornography. The new man isn't the one that cheats and steals. The new man isn't the one that cusses and does drugs and gets drunk on the weekend. The new man don't do those things because the new man is empowered by the Spirit of the living God through the work of the cross of Jesus Christ. The new man doesn't do those things. The old man is the one that does those things. You understand what I'm saying, and it's why we need this exchange. And I'm going to get more into that as I go, church. But listen, in Matthew 3.10, I want to really try to tie this together and give you an understanding of this. And this, this passage, you may think, well, how in the world does this apply? 
But in Matthew 3.10, John the Baptist records an interesting verse, and it says, Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. And if you study the Word of God, which I hope you all do, but if you do word studies especially, you can find this one out. But if you do a word study, you discover that the English word radical is derived from the Latin word radix, which means to deal with the root. That's exactly what it means. That which deals with the root. It, it also, the word eradicate comes from that same word radix. To eradicate means to completely do away with. And I use that verse because the reality is the cross of Jesus Christ does exactly that concerning the old man. The cross of Jesus Christ does exactly that concerning the rebellious nature that's in you and me. The cross of Jesus Christ is the only thing that can eradicate sin. It's the only thing that can eradicate the sinful nature. It's the only thing that can eradicate the rebel inside of us all. The, the, the cross of Jesus Christ is the only thing that deals with the root of the problem in all of humanity. And that's why I use this verse, because it absolutely has to do with this divine exchange. And I'll bring it all together. The reality is, in order for God to deal with the old man, he had to do something radical. In order for God to deal with sin and the rebel inside of us all, in order for him to eradicate that thing that corrupted all of mankind and corrupted his creation, God had to do something radical. And the reality is there is absolutely nothing more radical than the cross of Jesus Christ. There is nothing more radical in all of history that you can point to, church, than the Son of God, than the precious Lamb of God, than the only begotten Son of the Father leaving heaven to die on an old rugged cross so that you and I could be born again. There's nothing more radical than that. There is nothing more radical than the nine divine exchanges that took place 2,000 years ago on Golgotha's hill. If you don't think it was radical that the Son of God was, was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities and that the punishment for our peace was placed on His shoulders and that by His stripes were healed, if that's not radical, I don't know what radical is. If it's not radical that the innocent Son of God suffered and died on an old rugged cross so you and I could live, I don't know what radical is. If it's not radical enough for you that the precious Son of God, that the, that the Prince of Peace that we sang about became a curse so that you and I could be blessed, I don't know what radical is. You can look at any one of these nine divine exchanges, and if this isn't radical enough to change your life and change your thinking and cause you to go to the cross, I don't know what will. There is nothing more God can do to restore you to Him than what He already did on the cross of Jesus Christ. I hope you understand the depth of what Jesus did, church, there's nothing more radical, in my opinion, than these nine divine exchanges that took place upon the cross. Listen, I use this passage about the axe being laid at the trees and talk about this radical stuff because in all, of all of the messages that humanity has ever heard, of all of the speeches that have ever been given, 
whether in a church or whether out in, in society or whether it's at a meeting or at a political rally, uh, of all of the philosophies that have ever been spouted by the lips of man, of all of the words that have ever been spoken to mankind, the most radical message that has ever been spoken into the ears of man is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the most radical message you will ever hear if you hear it. You see, if you read the Word of God and you study the Word of God, I promise you, you will discover that it's radical. It's radical. The Word of God and the cross of Christ, there's nothing more radical than you will ever hear or know of or learn than the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, and it is the only message. I don't care what philosopher you listen to. I don't care what self-help book you listen to. I don't care what council sessions you go to. I don't care, church, all of those things. The only message that has the power to destroy the old man, the only message that has the power to destroy the rebel inside of you, the only message that has the power to get to the root of the problem and eradicate sin is the message of Jesus Christ and the cross of Jesus Christ. The only thing. And I hope you understand that when it comes to your own personal evangelism. You see, it's great for you to invite someone to church, but you've been called to invite them to the cross. Church won't save them. The cross will save them. Church won't get them to heaven. Jesus and the cross will get them to heaven. Yes, church can point the way. But listen to me, don't put your personal evangelism responsibility on the shoulders of the pastor. You lead them to the cross. You lead them to Jesus Christ. Well, I did my job, God. I brought them to church. And God looks down and says, church isn't going to save them. My son is going to save them. And unless you lead them to the cross, the rebel will still control their lives. Listen, I grew up in church. I was a rebel until I got saved. Do you understand what I'm saying? I grew up in the church from the time I was two years old. My mama changed my diapers in church. But I was a rebel until I got saved. Until someone led me to the precious cross of Jesus Christ. And the saddest reality is, the house of God is filled Filled, jam-packed, overloaded with individuals that have never been to the cross. Woo! They've been to church, sing a lot of songs, dance around every week, but they ain't never been to the cross. And it's why the only thing you see in their life is the old man. The old man talks. They dress like the old man, talk like an old man, live like an old man, act like an old man. And listen to me. I don't expect anything different from them because they're an old man. Not your dad. You know what I'm saying? They're the old man. I don't expect anything different from them. One of the things that always... I don't want to say I laugh at it, but, but it's amusing to me how so many of us in the house of God, especially pastors and spiritual leaders... They'll look out at an individual that is the old man, and they're upset that they're living like they are. 
You see, you know who we have to get upset at? We got to get upset at the new men that aren't maturing in the Lord. We don't, we don't need to get upset at the old men because they're living like old men. They're living exactly like they should live because they've not been to the cross. What we should be upset at is that no one's led them there. They've been coming to church for two years and, and they've never been to the cross. We don't have altar calls anymore. We don't lead people to the cross of Jesus Christ. We don't lead them to that place where they can be buried with Christ so that they can raise up with Christ. And we wonder why the house of God is filled with old men. And ladies, please understand when I say old men, I mean old ladies too. Okay? I don't mean old bags. I mean old nature. You see, the old nature is not a respecter of persons. The old nature will live in you, me, a man, a woman, black, white. It'll live in a teenager and it'll live in an eight-year-old child. It'll live in a grandfather that's 89 years old and it'll live in a teenager that's 18. Uh, We're all just as guilty and it's why we've got to go to the cross. We've got to get radical with this thing called sin. You see, it irks me, church, in today's society, when the world is going to hell in a handbasket, that we got ministers, and I don't mean to be judgmental, but we got ministers standing up behind the gospel that all they want to do is put a smile on someone's face. All they want to do is make someone happy. All they want to do is tickle their ears. And Jesus is waiting at the cross. Wondering, when, pastor, when, shepherd, when, prophet, when, priest, when, people, will you lead this world to the cross? When? This is why this divine exchange is so important and we can't lose sight of it because it is the only place where the old man passes away. And it is the only place where new things are made, church what we have to realize. We have to understand that the gospel does far more than something for us. The gospel wants to do something in us. It does far more than trim off the branches of our life. It does far more, church, than deal with us at a superficial level. The Word of God and the Spirit of God and the cross of Jesus Christ does far more than spray us with spiritual insecticides week after week. And again, that seems to be what happens anymore in the house of God. People come into the house of God and they're burdened by sin and overtaken by sin. they got addictions in their life and troubles and, and all sorts of difficulties in their life. Rebels sitting all throughout the house of God and the pastor just sprays insecticides on them, thinking that that's what's going to work. Well, the pastor sprayed me with his prayers today, and the, the pastor prayed me with, or sprayed me with his sermons today, and the pastor sprayed me with the Word of God today, so I will be okay. But the reality is, the rebel is still alive and well in your soul. We've got to take the rebel to the cross. We've got to get radical. This is what this last divine exchange is all about, getting radical. It's the only thing that will eradicate the rebel and rebellious nature within us all. You know as well as I do that you can trim the branches of a tree all you want. You can even cut at its roots and lop back the big, huge branches. But unless you get deep enough to affect the root... It'll always grow back. And when it grows back, 
it'll grow back twice as dense as what it did before. You see, remember that scripture that says when the, when the demon is cast out and he roams about in dry places, he comes back to see if the house has been swept clean. And if, it, if there's still room for him, he comes back seven times worse. He calls his buddies and he calls his friends and he says, here's a vacancy. Let's unpack our bags and move in. You see, you can lop off the branches all you want. You can try to lop off the lion, and you can try to lop, lop off the cheating, and you can try to lop off the, 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 the lust, and you can try to cut here and cut there. But until you get to the root of the problem, until you are willing to get radical concerning the rebel that's living inside of you and take him to the cross of Jesus Christ. The rebel will rule your life. Rebel will rule your life, church. Sin in our sinful nature has to be dealt with the same way you cut down a tree. you got to dig it up by its roots, church. It's what has to happen. And the only place that sin can be dealt with at that radical level is at the cross of Jesus Christ. It's exactly why John said the axe is laid at the root of the tree. Because God knew he had to get radical concerning sin. God, ha- God knew he couldn't put a band-aid on sin. He knew he couldn't sweep sin under the carpet like we so often try to do. He knew that he couldn't just put a, a nice pretty uh, uh, dressing on the, the sin. He had to eradicate it, church. He had to kill it. And there's only one place he could kill it, and it was on the cross of Jesus Christ. Listen, Isaiah 53, 6 says, All of us like sheep have gone astray. All of us like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to his own way, and the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. You see, according to the word, the problem with all of us is the rebellion that's inside of us. The problem with all of us is the rebel that resides in the soil of our soul, church. The rebel that has unpacked his bags. Our problem is the old nature and and the old man that's inside of us. And no matter, like I said, how many branches we try to cut off, no matter how many rules we try to make for this old man, No matter how many bars we try to put around this old man and keep him locked up inside until you cut him off at the root, he'll still live. Until you cut him off at the root, he will still reign in your life. Until you are willing to get radical enough to take the old man to the cross of Jesus Christ, listen, the new man can't live. Until you take him to the foot of the cross where the axe has been laid, the old man will live on and the new man won't. Please understand, and I, and I know I'm running out of time. There's some things that I want to cover still. I know a lot of you may question what I'm about to say, but I'm going to clarify it as I go. But please understand, and don't judge me for what I'm about to say yet. Wait until I finish. God does not send the rebel to Sunday school to change. God does not send a rebel to church to change. God does not send the old man to counseling or to discipleship in order to change him. God does not ask the old man to memorize scripture and to read all sorts of books. 
God does not ask the old man to do anything in order to make him more righteous. There is only one thing that is asked of the rebel. It is not God. Listen, listen to me. God does not send the rebel to etiquette class. God does not send the rebel to reform school in order to change him. What you need to understand, and I'm about to give you clarity on this, is according to the word of God, God does one thing and one thing only with the rebel. He executes him. That might sound harsh. That might sound hard. That might sound mean. But I can prove to you in Scripture that God does one thing with the rebel. He sends him to the cross. He executes him on the cross of Jesus Christ. He puts him in the grave with Jesus Christ. Why? So that he can, so that the new man then can rise up. You see, like I said earlier, so often the church spends too much time on the old man. When all the old man, when God is just saying, take him to the cross. Take him to the cross. God doesn't waste his time uh, trying to reform the old man. God wants to destroy the old man. God wants to destroy the rebel that's inside of you. Because as long as the rebel's alive, the new man can't live. As long as the old nature is alive, there's no room for the new man to walk. You understand what I'm saying? As long as the rebel has his bags unpacked, as long as the old man's sleeping at your bed and watching your TV and sitting at your dinner table, as long as the old man's married to your wife and papa to your kids or mama to your kids, there's no room for the new man. And it's why God says he must die. It's the only way you make room for the new man. Listen, I know that's radical, but it's the only way God deals with sin radically. You can't be pretty with sin. You can't pamper sin. You can't put a diaper on sin and feed it a little bottle. You've got to destroy it. And when you do, when you're, when you're willing enough to get radical enough with sin in your life, the new man all of a sudden begins to rise up and you begin to walk in newness of life. You begin to talk in newness of life. You begin to act in, in newness of life. You begin to praise in, in newness of life. You begin to dance in newness of life. You begin to serve in newness of life. You begin to give a little bit of your money in newness of life. You understand what I'm saying? The old man don't want to give squat, but the new man will open up his purse to God and say, you gave it to me, God. I'm going to give a little back. You understand what I'm saying, church? We got to stop pampering the old man. We got to take him to the cross. But the sad reality is some of us like the old man. We gotten used to the old man. We are comfortable with the old man. We don't know what we'd do without the old man. Same is true naturally and spiritually. You know, I've counseled with a lot of individuals who should be far, far away from an individual in their life, but they don't know anything different. So they stay in the middle of hell because they don't know any different. And the same thing happens to us spiritually. It's what we know. It's what we're comfortable with. 
And we kind of like the, the old man. He might be ornery. He might be this. He might. But there's just something about that old man. But the reality is, listen, we've got to take him to the cross, church. We've got to get radical with him. Listen, you and I have to understand, you can reason with a rebel all you want. But he's still a rebel. You can put a three-piece suit on a rebel. You can sit him on the front row. You can put a big Bible in his hand. And you can stick a big cross across his chest. But guess what? He's still a rebel. You can get a rebel to read as many self-help books as you can give him. You can get him to memorize all of the, 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 the books of the Bible. You can get him to learn as many memory verses as you want the, the old man can learn. But the reality is he's still a rebel. You see some of this in school. Listen to me. You can educate your children or the school can educate your children all they want about safe sex. But please understand me, the rebel that's inside of them will still have sex anyway. Because listen to me, you can't rehabilitate a rebel in a spiritual sense. You can't reform spiritually a rebel. You've got to eradicate the rebel. If you want your child to walk in newness of life, parents, teach them about the cross. If you want your child to have no sex instead of safe sex, you need to take them to the cross. You need to let that rebel that's inside of them come in contact with the blood of Jesus Christ. You need to let that rebel inside of that rebel husband of yours or that rebel wife of yours come in contact with the cross of Jesus Christ because it's the only thing that will change them. Church. We've got to become acquainted with the cross. It's the only thing that will change us, church. We can impose all the rules and the regulations you want on a rebel, but he will break all those rules all the time. Because the only way to deal with the old man or the rebel inside of us is by putting him on the cross of Jesus Christ. Please understand there's only one place we can find freedom from sin. There's only one place we can find freedom from the rebel that's inside of us all, and that is at the cross of Jesus Christ. The only way to be free from sin is to die to sin. The only way we can be free from the rebellious nature in us, church, is for that rebellious nature to die. Listen, clarify this as I go, but you can come to church week after week, Confessing your sins week after week. Receiving forgiveness week after week after week after week. Listen, my whole teenage life, I was there. Crying over my sins every single week. Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. I mean, I hate to say this in the youth group, but I'm telling you, like the girls, the girls in the youth group when I grew up. Because parents, you know, boy, you think you can put that over on them. They would spit in their, they'd spit in their hands and wipe the, wipe their eyes so the mascara would begin to run on their their eyes so the parents would think, oh, thank God, they just been touched by the Lord. But you know what? We all walked out of church 
with the rebels still alive. We all walked out of church with the old nature breathing and beating inside the depths of our soul. We all put on a good show and we all put on a good performance. But when we walked out that door, the rebel turned around and smiled and laughed and giggled at God and the pastor. How oh, we put one up over on them. Listen to me, church. I'm listening. I don't care where you sit on church, how nice you look. All of those things don't matter. If when you walk out that door, if the rebel's not dead, nothing that happened in church even matters. Because if you walk out those doors with the rebels still alive, you cannot walk in newness of life. Please understand this, church. This is one of the things, we make it sound so hard, but it's not. Jesus already did the work. Jesus already made the exchange. There is a new man for every single one of us waiting at the foot of Jesus Christ. And all it takes is for us to come to the cross and say, God, I'm just tired of this old man, tired of this old nature. I'm tired of being under its dominion. I'm tired of sin and rebellion having dominion over my life. I'm tired of, (laughs) yes, master. You understand what I'm saying? It's the way we live. If the old man's not crucified, we're following around and just letting sin have dominion over us, church. But this is why Jesus died on the cross. So that we could rise up in newness of life, church. So that the old man could be baptized into Christ's death. It's how we get newness of life. But for whatever reason, so often we come into the house of God. And it's like the pastor preached on Sunday. He carried that thing around our cares. And we do the same thing with the old man. We, we might come to the altar, but we don't get out a shovel. We don't dig a ditch. We don't get out the hammer. We don't get out the nails. We don't put the old man up there on the cross and nail him there and say, stay there and leave walking in newness of life. We come to the altar. God, forgive me for acting like an old man. God, forgive me for, for manifesting the, 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 the characteristics of, a, of the old man. Forgive me, God. Cleanse me, God. I repent, God. I'm sorry, God. And we get up and we walk out and the old man's still attached. When we should be coming to the altar and say, God, I want you to do one thing. I want you to destroy my flesh. I want you to destroy and eradicate this rebel that's inside of my soul. I want the blood of Jesus Christ to conquer sin once and for all in my life. And guess what? The old man will die when you give him over to God. Because the power of the Holy Spirit will hold him down. And you can walk out in newness of life. That's what church should be about. Listen, I'm going to begin to close with this. I told you that the old man is not the one that goes to Bible study. The new man is the one that should go to Bible study. 
The old man isn't the one that goes to a prayer meeting. The new man is the one that goes to a prayer meeting. You understand what I'm saying? The very things that we are expecting so often of the old man are the things that should be taking place in the life of the new man. And yet we come into the house of God, we get saved, but we don't train the new man. We don't, we don't disciple the new man. Okay, you're saved. Thank you. You know, fill out a form. Hallelujah. Go on your way. But we don't do anything to mature that new man. And it's why the house of God is filled with babies. It's filled with infants that revert to childlike behavior. Listen, this is what we have to understand. When we go to the cross, the old man passes away, the new man rises up, and the new man is the one that begins, like I said, the new man is the one that has to learn how to worship. The new man is the one that has to learn how to give. And the new man is the one that has to learn how to serve. And the new man is the one that has to learn how to love and be patient and be kind. It's the new man that has to learn all of those things. But the new man can't learn those things unless we're willing to take the old man to the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm going to close with this. As I begin to wind down, I want you to imagine... The worst sort of man. It's the kind of man that gives other men bad names. No matter how bad that other man might be. This kind of man, he curses up a storm every single day. Drinks whiskey every single day. Smokes smelly cigars every single day. He's cruel and he's unkind to his wife. And no one else likes to be around this kind of man. But somewhere in this story of this family's life, this man's wife and children become Christians. And on Sunday evening, as they normally do, after she prepares a meal for her husband and she gets the kids ready for church, she and the children slip out the door for Sunday night service. And as they go out the door, they see the old man sitting in a recliner with a cigar in his mouth and a bottle of whiskey in his hand. And he's watching dirty videos that he shouldn't be watching. And he swears and he mocks and he curses the kids and the wife as they walk out the door. The wife and the kids, they enjoy a wonderful service and they come home singing choruses and they're making melody in their heart and their spirits have been uplifted and they walk into the front door expecting to be bombarded with foul language and abusive language, but the old man doesn't say a single word. Smoke is swirling through the air from his smelly cigar, but he's not smoking it. It's lying in the ashtray. The whiskey bottle is three quarters full and it's sitting on the side table and the video is no longer playing. And I know you're all waiting for a happy ending, but the question is why? And the answer is because the old man is lying dead on the floor. He's not drinking whiskey because he is now dead to whiskey and he's dead to alcohol. He's not smoking his cigar because he is dead to cigar and tobacco. He's not swearing and using foul language because he is dead to swearing and foul speech. He's dead to the videos that he once watched on a regular basis because sin has no more attraction for him. And sin produces no more reaction in him. He is dead and he is dead to sin. And Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6, verse 11, that we in the same exact way are to reckon ourselves indeed to sin as well. What does that mean? 
It means that when you and I go to the cross and we crucify the old man, it means that sin has no more attraction for you. It means that sin produces no more reaction in you. It means that sin has no more hold on you or power over you. Why? Because you're dead to sin. Because you have been baptized into Christ's death. So that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, you and I also might be raised up into newness of life to the glory of the Father as well. You see, the reality is the old man doesn't glorify the Father one bit. Actually offends the Father and grieves the Father. But when we apply the ninth divine exchange to our lives and the power of the cross that has the ability to take an old rebellious man and turn it around so that all things are new, something powerful happens in our life. It's why Paul was able to say, Behold, I am a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Actually, Paul didn't say, Behold, I what, what Paul said was, if anyone is in Christ, anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have been done away with, the Bible says. It means old things have died. It means old things have been crucified at the cross of Jesus Christ and put into a grave. Been covered up with the soil of the cross. And now we can walk in newness of life. That's what Paul said. If you're thankful for the cross, church, if you're thankful for the newness of life that has been made available to us through this ninth divine exchange, I want you to stand to your feet. I just want you to bless the Lord for that first. If we can just bless the Lord for what he's done for us on Calvary's cross. He's worthy of all of our praise for that, church. All we have to do is learn to appropriate that. So as I close tonight, there's two things I'm going to ask. If there's an old man inside of you that you've been struggling with, an old man inside of you that needs to die, I want to encourage you to visit with me at the altar before you leave. So I can pray with you, so that we can plead the blood of Jesus Christ over your life, and so that you might walk out free from sin. That you can eradicate that thing from your life. You don't have to do it in front of everybody if you don't want. But if you want to tarry, I'd be happy to pray with you as, as well as with the rest of our prayer team. We'd be happy to do that. But what I want everyone's prayer to be tonight is to thank God for this ninth divine exchange that empowers us and enables us to walk in newness of life. Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word this evening. I thank you for the power of your word, the anointing of your word, the revelation of your word, the truth of your word. I thank you, Father God, for the, the ability of your word to take individuals like us, Father God, who are filled with flesh and who have uh, at one point had a rebellious nature within us. But the power of your word, God, could take that and make it new. I thank you for the cross. I thank you for these nine divine exchanges, God, that we've learned over the past several weeks. I thank you, Father God, for the amazing grace that was demonstrated on Golgotha's Hill 2,000 years ago. God, I'm thankful that you don't just tell us to be righteous or you don't just tell us to be holy. 
You don't just tell us to to walk in newness of life. You provide for us everything we need to be able to do that. So help us, Father God, to make the most of your word. Help us to make the most of everything that you've provided for us. And tonight my prayer is, God, that you would take the old man that's inside of us. That you would take the rebel, Father God, that might still be lingering in the soil of our soul. That you would take his behavior. That you would take his characteristics. That you would take his nature, Father God, and that you would bury him with Jesus Christ. I pray tonight, Father God, that the rebel inside of every single one of us would go to the grave tonight. That the precious blood of Jesus Christ would wash over our lives and that we would be baptized into Christ's death so that we could raise up in newness of life and bring glory to the Father. Help us to remember all of these exchanges, God, so that we can live to glorify you. We're careful to give you the praise and we're careful to give you the glory. And all of God's people said, Amen. Can we bless the Lord one more time, church? Amen. You're dismissed. Again, if you have any need, if you need any of these exchanges to take place in your life, we'll tarry, pray with you. Otherwise, be blessed and go in the name of the Lord.